We believe running is freedom and empowerment. We believe running solves problems and makes people happy. We even believe that if more people run, the world will be a better place. We believe in running because it is our passion. This is the Big Peach Running Company Run ATL Podcast with your host, Mike Cosentino. From the capital of the South, this is the Run ATL Podcast. My name is Mike Cosentino. I am the host for this audio affair. I say it every single time. You know what is next. It is my grand introduction for a grand man. It is Dolomite D2. He is here with me. We've said it. Very recently, my friend, you live a charmed life. Welcome back. <laughs> well, it's good to be back, and I don't know about being charmed, but it's it's definitely something that I've done intentionally is to uh, do a little bit more traveling. Well, you have done that, and we're actually going to make you our first interview. I think we've got something that I believe will benefit all as we tease out not just where you were, but what you did do intentionally. Before we do that, we'll absolutely indicate our enthusiasm for today's featured conversation. We have Grant Dingo Fish Mon all the way from down under. Although when we had this conversation that's coming up, he was in South Florida, be making his way to Atlanta. D2, we'll share these details again and again, but just so everybody can start making notes, Grant is going to be in Atlanta. He will be here on October 25th as part of a program with the working title, Inspiration and Man, Will He Inspire You? He is an Aussie extreme adventurer, or for sure, he has a story to tell. Once again, our friend, Sandy Geisel, Jim Martell, Keller Williams, they know how to put together a great program and a wonderful evening on October 25th. Beginning with doors opening at 6.30, Grant will take the microphone at 7.30. The office is located in Sandy Springs. The best way to get your tickets is by going to Eventbrite. If you just put in his nickname, Dingo Fish, for sure it will pop up. All of the proceeds are going to support Refuge Rescue. That is very cool. And for those of you who are looking for a realtor, this is an unplanned and yet not at all shameless plug for the Geisel Group. If you know anything about Sandy from the things that she's brought to our market, you know all you need to know about what she and her team would do for you if they have the good fortune of representing you buying or selling a home, thanks to her for bringing Grant to Atlanta. We'll talk more about that. But D2, like I said, you're our first interview. And the reason <laughs> I say that, the Europeans have been doing this for a long time. When we talk about Grant, we're talking about somebody who is well-traveled. Before we go to a commercial break, I'm just going to indicate a few places he's been. But what the Europeans have been doing for so long is what we refer to as adventure travel. And now you have kind of taken part in that multiple times. So I've got a couple of quick questions. First of all, tell everybody where you were and what you did. So I went to, uh, to Utah and uh, to a little town called Kanab and um, south of, you know, southern part of Utah. And it's kind of central to a lot of... Um, I guess national parks, so Grand Canyon, um, uh, Zion, Bryce, and that's kind of Escalante. I think you mentioned yes, you were Escalante in your staircase. Yes, and um, so there's this uh, group that I happened to. I don't know. I either saw a Facebook ad or something, and just kind of popped in my mind. I was like, "Oh, that sounds like a, a really good um, you know experience. Let me find out." And I had seen it a year ago, and it already sold out. I was like, "I got to put this on my list," and I bookmarked it. I'm like. 
when the time comes and it opens up, I'm going to sign up for it. And so it did. And I signed up and said, yes, this is what I'm going to do. And it's an experience where, you know, technically it's three races on three days, but I wasn't going there to race. I was going there for the experience of actually running in these, uh, you know, parks and, and be able to take in the views um, because most people go to these parks and they go to the the scenic overlook, the you know right off the road. This they takes drive you, through. They, they take the pictures from the roadway. Right. And you, yeah. Exactly. And and I've done that before, and it's like it's it just wasn't fulfilling to be right smack in the middle of a desert, you know, or an area where you know it's it's not very well traveled or. It's it's very difficult to get to if you're in great shape. You know you can hike it and walk the whole thing um, if you're in great shape. But I wanted to experience that, and so for me it wasn't to go out there and run as fast as I can and race it, because then I, I would miss the views. So for me, I wanted to experience that, um, you know, on foot. So let's talk about adventure travel for a second, because I mean you mentioned the parks, and right now I think it's pretty well publicized. Most national parks are getting record visitors, but oftentimes people are seeing it the way you just mentioned. In addition, you know, with all due respect to Six Flags and Disney and Branson, Missouri, and everywhere else you can go to a park, it's not really the same thing. Those aren't the parks we're talking about. How many people were part of this? This is starting to catch on. So, you know, I was surprised because I expected maybe about 200 people, but when we got there, you know, the uh, race organizer said that there were over 700 people and there were uh, people from over 43 states and 14 countries. So you got a chance not just to do some things that most people will never do, at least if they're not prompted to do something like what you did, but you also got a chance to spend a lot of time with people that you had never met from a lot of different places. I have to believe that was one of the benefits of the time that you spent in Utah. Yeah, I mean, for me, that's one of the things that I wanted to do is just kind of, you know, I went there by myself. I didn't go with a group or many people do go as a group. I went there by myself because okay. I wanted to experience something and, and meet people and interact with people. And, and trail runners, you know, and runners just in general, I mean, we, we all are passionate about you know, this lifestyle. So we have a lot in common. And so it's great to kind of, at the end of the day, whether it's, you know, over dinner or in the beer garden, you know, kind of recounting, you know, how the day went and just kind of learning about each other. And we all have, you know, very similar kind of interests, you know. So let's think about the entire time that you were there, because again, I'm going to continue to give props to the Europeans and perhaps there are other parts of this terrific globe that we live on that do the same thing, but it's not been super popular in North America where this adventure travel has existed. And that's how we've spent our discretionary time or our money. We do, we go ahead and we punch the ticket and off we go to Orlando again, with all due respect to Orlando, or we just figure, well, we'll do the drive through the grand Canyon and that's it. And we'll get out only to take pictures now with 700 plus people from all over this country and other parts of the world. What would you say was your favorite part of the whole thing and you've already indicated you would do it again or that type of thing again. So there must have been a favorite part or a few things that you won't soon forget. I mean, for me, it was the way that the race organizers put everything together. To have 700 people and uh, all the things that kind of went in the background, they really kind of catered um, to the runner and the, and the experience. So, it, they, you know, they, they allowed you, you know, they shuttled you to the, to the start. 
they made it fun atmosphere. They, you know, after the race, you know, back at the, at the central location, Canab, you know, they had activities and, you know, you could bring families. A lot of people had their kids there um, and kids had, you know, activities that they could do while, you know, everyone was out running. They had, you know, breakfast in the morning and they had dinner in the evening and they had entertainment. They had, you know, Native American Indians and they were doing presentations and, and educational uh, uh, on on just you know preservation but also on on you know protecting the environment and you know breaking down and composting and just being very aware of of our environment so it was a very educational experience as well you know they showed a a film called into the canyon that documented uh, a photojournalist and a writer from national geographic who actually ended up hiking the entire length of the grand canyon and documenting it and they broke it down into four parts and you know and I, I i ended up going to bed earlier um so i didn't see the whole thing but I, it's on my list i'm like i want to watch the end of it i want to see the whole thing and because it's just it's, it's spectacular you know um and you know to be a part of it and, and to see all that was just was you know just the environment the people the camping and you, know, you had the choice of whether you know you can stay in a hotel down the street or you know, camp. And I chose to camp because I wanted to be part of that experience, you know. And for me, it was it was the adventure part of it, you know, where I was going into an area where I hadn't really researched a whole lot. I knew that we would be taken care of. Um, but I, I didn't do a whole lot of research beforehand. And I was like, you know, sometimes it's just, I'm just going to go. I'm just like, you know, punch my ticket and let's go. And I mean, I did that even a couple months ago when, you know, I was asked by a friend said, hey, you know, will you pace me a Leadville? And I was like, yes. You know, didn't give it much thought, you know, because it's an experience. And, you know, it's one of those things where up to, you know, maybe a couple of years ago where I, I decided, I was like, you know what? I was like, you know, instead of saying I can't or I won't or it's, you know, I, I don't have the money for it. It's like be intentional, you know, make plans. Um, a friend of mine, she had said, you know, um, she always had a, tr- a trip on the front burner. She was always looking for an adventure on the front burner. And, you know, that's something that stuck with me because of the way she lived her life. Every day was an adventure for her. That's awesome. And you are now a resident expert. I'm going to ask you one more question. I'm going to suggest that this stuff is getting closer to us wonderfully. So we might think about the Women's Trail Fest that we highlighted earlier this year. We've already given indication to our team it's coming back, thank goodness, for Aaron Job and for Myrna Valerio. We did our sold out Big Peach spring break last year. Who knows whether or not we'll do something like that. That was a little bit of a grand experiment for us. We have a teammate who is also part of the Rogue Expeditions team. So this adventure travel is starting to get closer and closer to where people are gonna know more and more about it. But yet I can tell you, there's still so many people who have no idea this type of activity or this real adventure does indeed exist. As people kind of peer out across the bottle, they start thinking about, well, how am I going to spend my vacation time? Or what am I going to do in 2020 that might be different? You just said it so well. And when we get into the featured conversation, I hope everyone, when they hear Grant, takes the same note that I did relative to, man, be experimental, get involved with your own experimentation and stay curious. You've done that. You've lived it. You've just returned from it. For someone who has no idea where to start, but now here's adventure travel. Here's the satisfaction in your voice from what you just did and then perhaps is inspired by the conversation we're going to bring them next. Where would you tell them to get started or be thinking about? 
I mean, I think you, you find kind of the level of interest that, you know, or, or the activity you're interested in, whether it's running, whether it's hiking, whether it's, you know, cycling, there is probably a group, there's a company um, that offers these type of experiences for you. So, you know, for me already, I'm like I said, I've got something already on the front burner and it's something that I was thinking about even a year ago is to go on a cycling adventure, you know, and whether it's Europe or maybe somewhere across the States and I'm looking at different um different companies and different experiences um it's 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 fingertip away i mean it's just mm. through the internet just sure. go google search you know if you see an ad i mean that's what i did with vacation races is i saw something and i bookmarked it and you know it's one of those things where you you, you know some things are going to cost a bit i mean i was looking at some trips for next year that's probably gonna be four or five thousand dollars you know including travel and everything, but it's all inclusive, which is great. You, know, you don't have to worry about anything else, but you know, it's like, that's a lot of money. And, and so if in order to make that happen, you have to be intentional. You have to like, okay, I'm going to start putting some away. You know, maybe mm -hmm. it's not this year, maybe it's not next year, maybe it's two years, but I'm going to start being intentional and start putting some away. I'm gonna start doing the research. I'm gonna start looking at what I need to do, what I need to prepare because for some of these, um, you know, I mean, even for this race, I had to train for it. I mean, we were running uh, uh, over 13 miles, you know, on the first day. I think it was 13.6. The second day was 13.4 and then 10.4, uh, you know. So that's three days back to back. I mean, that's ultra training when you're doing those type of long mileage. So you have to kind of train for it. And, you know, I'm looking at potentially doing a cycling experience where I might be, you know, climbing mountains in, in Europe. You know, that's high altitude training. That's elevation. So it's not like as simple as like, well, let me just, I've got the funds, I've got the money. There's commitment involved into it. But there's also that sense of adventure, that sense of challenge. And for me right now, it's like, you know, I can go out and, and run a 5K, but, you know, or a 10K or even a half marathon, and I can try to PR. But at a certain point, you know, it's like, you know, you can't get any faster. But you can increase your level of challenges of what you can do and what you can push yourself to do. And it doesn't have to be, based on a specific time or a distance. It could be just based on an experience. And that's kind of what I'm looking at doing. Very, very cool. And for all of us to know a little bit more about. Well, we're glad you came back. Had that curiosity, of course, as we ended the last episode. He did come back. And you should do what he suggested. That is let your fingers do some of the tapping. Understand who you are and what would thrill you and then find out what is out there because adventure travel is coming to your neighborhood for sure be part of it certainly would reinforce d2's recommendation the gentleman that we have as our featured conversation today grant dingo fish mon just a few of his highlights yes he has climbed to the top of the world very recently on mount Everest. He has done not just once or twice, but many times bad water, the 135. He's also done the 146 where you start really low in the basin, finish all the way atop Whitney Portal. He's done the Iditarod. He has done races in India, Morocco, Alaska, Greece, Canada, there are so many places where he has been, places I want to go, Italy, other places in British Columbia. There just is so much that this individual has done. He is a seafarer or ship captain by trade. He loves his motorcycle, 
he talks about wanting to row across the Atlantic next year. This is an individual who will not only prove that getting the most out of life, he is 55 right now and just as much after it as he has ever been, but he will also make sure that what D2 just told us in terms of looking out and being intentional about what we select as to how our, we spend our time is so critically important. We're going to bring you a conversation that was so much fun for D2 and I to have with Grant. We're going to do it right after this brief message. Fall is here and training starts now. As your runs get longer, you'll need additional fuel to power through those long runs and get you across the finish line. Everyone has different needs and tastes, so we recommend that you experiment with different gels, bars, and hydration products to see what works best for you. Stock up and save. Purchase 10 or more individual packets and save 10%. Buy a box and save 15%. Clubs and training groups can combine their discount for additional savings of up to 25% off. Come into any Big Peach Running Company location and stock up so you're ready for those long runs. And welcome back to the Run ATL Podcast, D2. This is so very cool. We shared these details, of course. I'm going to do it again because now is the time where you're going to get to know Grant Mon. But again, on Friday, October 25th at 7.30, the Keller Williams Realty First Atlanta office, thanks to our friend Sandy Geisel. This gentleman is coming to us. But my goodness, if you're not already familiar with his story, the way that he uses, by his own words, and very much indicated that most of us should be thinking along these same lines, the world is our playground and the things that he's done to inspire others. We are going to go deep into it with Grant right now. Grant, thank you so much for being part of this. G'day Atlanta. Yeah, no problems, mate. Glad to be here and uh, glad to spread the news a little bit. And um, let's see if we can aspire some people to get outdoors. Well, I think we will. And already you might understand why we're giving him at least to date the award for the best accent that has been on the run ATL podcast. That is truly authentic. He is from down under. And yet at the same time, Grant, as I indicated, in that brief introduction, the world has been your playground. And if there's one thing that I can already tell from having looked at your resume, from having followed you, you have unbelievable range. And we'll get into the temperature extremes and the variation that comes with the very notable accomplishments that you've had for the types of activities that you still pursue. The range is unbelievable. But before we do any of that, let's take a journey back to your childhood. Let's take a journey further back than what some of these stories might suggest because where does an athlete of your caliber, an adventurer with your mindset get started and how did it get started for you? Well, you know, growing up as a kid, when I was a kid and I'm 55 now, so back in those days, you know, we didn't have cell phones and video games and all that sort of stuff. So it was basically mum would kick you outside and tell you to come back in when the sun went down so that's what we used to do and we get up to all sorts of things running around and riding bikes and uh, lived on the coast the east coast of Australia all my life so was heavily into surfing and water sports and things like that so it seemed like every day we're out burning up calories and um, just enjoying you know the simpler things in life and and keeping healthy and as I grew up I've been working at sea for 36 years which is a pretty physically demanding job in itself and I just found uh, staying healthy 
and fit all those years. When I finally got into ultra running only about seven years ago, I found my body kind of just fit right into it and and sucked it up. And um, I put that all down to having a healthy childhood. And and, um, I see a lot of kids around these days, you know, caught up in the technology and all that sort of stuff. And it's the way that the world's going. You can't change the world all the time. But it'd be great to see kids getting outside and doing the simple things that we used to do, like riding bikes and running around and sucking in that fresh air. So that's where my story comes from. Well, that's awesome. It's a great reminder, not only for all of us as athletes of every level, but also as parents, as neighbors, as those who are trying to impact our communities is ensuring that we pass along that love for the outdoors to those who will come behind us. And Grant, you did mention, and for those of you who did not pick up on this, he said he was 55. I'm not calling him out. He mentioned that seven years ago, he started running long distance races. He was 47 when he did his first marathon, 47 when he did his first ultra marathon. So you may think, wow, was it a brief career now that he's 55? Is this the retirement tour? Is this what happens? You get a book deal when you start that late? No, my friends, that's not the case at all. Last year alone, he won, not just participated in a race known as Vol State. That's a 314 mile run in the middle of summer. And yes, our volunteer state here in the United States, he also did Badwater last year. We've had others who have been on this broadcast who have done that event. Go back and listen to those episodes. He's done the Cascade Crest 100 miler in the last 18 months. He has raced in Europe, in South America. He is very much still doing it today. It is not 55, and those are long distance memories. These are long distance events he is still doing. So perhaps a very predictable question for you, Grant. When you think about being 55, first, you didn't get started with this until you were 47. It really is never too late to get started. So now take us to someone who perhaps is wondering, could I get out there and start a running or walking routine? Could I perhaps finish my first 5k sometime between now and the middle part of next year? Or maybe, maybe I could be that person who does my first marathon in 2020. What would you say to them as a place to just get started and start pushing the limits a little bit? I think there's absolutely no problem for anyone if they have a bit of an ambition to even have a go at a 5k to get into it at any age. However, I do strictly believe in the fact that you have to condition your body for running any distance or any speed. And I've seen it a lot in the sport that I've been involved in, in people trying to go out and crack too many miles or go too hard too soon and they end up with some chronic injury that just follows them around and they eventually have to give up the sport. But I think if you haven't been involved in in a sport like running where your body takes a lot of pounding, if you get into it slowly and surely and just build up your mileage rather than trying to just hit it hard all at once, I think you can have a long uh, career in the sport. And uh, I think I'm a good example of that that uh, even though I got into it pretty hard and fast, my body was pretty fit already to deal with. But, you know, if you just say getting off the lounge and wanting to get into it, start with the walking, uh, increase your walking pace, just keep loose and limber. I think that's really helped me out. And then as you go on, you can increase your mileage. And one of the biggest things I want to uh, remind people about is rest and recovery. Mm. Uh, When I was a lad, I I used to think that having a nap in the afternoon or – um, eating good food was for these, but now I, I totally believe in doing the workout and then getting the rest and recovery 
to get the benefit of that workout. And I see that also in long distance runners a lot. They do too much mileage and they don't rest enough. And on race day, they, they break down and they have to DNF. So uh, do the miles, but also get uh, a good feed into you, good calories, and then rest as well. So what a great reinforcement. And we oftentimes talk about gradual increases produce the greatest results. But you rightfully so also mentioned rest and recovery. You mentioned that you have perhaps a routine in between these endeavors that you take on. What are some of those things now that you're doing, maybe daily, but certainly weekly, that have become as important as the schedule you keep and these accomplishments that you rack up that you would say, it's not just for somebody who's as accomplished as I am, or perhaps even 55 years of age, but your experience would suggest everybody should be thinking about this on a very regular basis. Sure. Yeah. I, I like to keep a generally healthy lifestyle and, and I'm not crazy about it. I eat healthy, but I love eating chocolate and I like to drink a beer. Hey, I'm Australian. Um, <laughs> but I also believe in doing, trying to do something every couple of days at least, whether I just go outside and have an extra long walk with the dog or I get on my mountain bike and spin in an easy gear just to keep loosened up. But I find that I, I do so many events back to back or so many um, uh, physical tasks that a lot of the time I don't have time to train or I don't need to train. I just need to keep on that plateau. Um, for instance, after a big race, I finished the Tahoe 200-mile race a couple of weeks ago, and I've only ran once since, and I, that was for three miles. And a lot of people say, man, you've got to be up in your mileage. And I say, no, I don't. I'm still in a recovery phase. I, I destroyed my body during the race, broke down a lot of muscle fiber. So now I'm let, giving it time to build back up and recover. Um, I'm still trying to keep loose and nimble in between, but I'm not pounding my body into submission again. Um, I'm just giving it time to rebuild and be stronger for the next race. So I think it's really important, you know, even when you're not racing, you don't have to go out and run 15 miles tempo pace, you know, just go out and have a good walk and, and walk at a good pace or get on your bike and spin easy or go down the pool or down the ocean and have a bit of a swim. And um, if you do that, you'll find that your fitness will stay on a plateau and you won't lose much of it at all. And when you want to get back into a, a big distance race or a fast race again, you'll find that your body will be able to adapt very quickly to get back into a heavy training schedule again. So that adapt very quickly is the perfect segue into me wanting to go back to talking about your range because with that type of routine, I think you're right that all of us can adapt quickly to what comes our way on a daily or weekly basis if we've set some kind of purposeful endeavor in front of us. But you have ways to adapt that are almost mind-boggling. Let's take a quick snapshot, give everybody a little bit of a reference. So you've done the Iditarod, 390 miles in Alaska. In addition, you've done a race like we mentioned already, Badwater. For those who are ultra marathoners, the Keys 100. It's not just the Iditarod. Some have heard of the Arrowhead race in Minnesota. For those of you who are from that part of the country, Tuscobia in Wisconsin, these are races where the temperatures regularly are double digits below zero, oftentimes way below zero. For those of you who need to be reminded of the conditions at Badwater, scorching is the word that comes to mind. Certainly that's the case in the Keys as you're making your way down to Key West. Other races across the globe, Spartathlon in Greece, in your 
home there, Coast to Kosi in Australia. Grant, you've done the hottest or warmest races on the planet, and you've done the ones where the temperatures are the most frigid. To take your term, adapt, how do you adapt to such a wide range of activity? All right, this is, uh, this is kind of a difficult question to answer because I get asked about this all the time about do I like hot races or do I like cold races, <laughs> do I like mountains or do I like deserts? I like them all. I'm a bit of an experimenter. Um, and I find to change over to do a lot of these different genre of races, it's a real psychological mind game. You know, running in the heat in 130 degrees across Death Valley during the bad water is something you really have to talk your body into. Uh, running in minus 60 across Alaska, pulling a 70-pound sled is something you have to keep continually talking your body into. Uh, it's not just a physical task, but it's a mental task. And a lot of people say, well, you know, running in the cold, I, I can't get into it. You know, it's not my bag. But running in the cold is you have to think about the race a different way. And it's a lot of it's about gear and equipment. Uh, running in the desert, you know, all you've got on is a pair of shorts and a, and a singlet. So it's not so much of equipment, but you're more um, focused on how your body's breaking down and have to, how you have to keep it uh, fed and watered to keep up to the task. So I really enjoy that thinking game about all these extreme um, climates and um, environments that I go into to do these races. Some people like to just do road races. Some people like to do trail races. I like to do the whole bag, and, and I find that that keeps my curiosity uh, satiated, and it also teaches me a lot about lots of different things that I do in my life, whether it be adapting to a different temperature or using uh, particular gear in a certain way. And I know not everyone will be drawn to, say, a hot race or a cold race or a mountain race, but um, if you try at least one of those genres once, even if you don't like it, it will teach you a lot about how to do the other genre of races. So I'm going to continue pushing that um, envelope going to these different types of races. And this year I managed to finish the Iditarod 1,000 miles all the way to Nome, and that took me 33 days, and that's probably the hardest event physically and psychologically that I've ever done. And that was uh, mainly because I just had to keep thinking and committing to every single day of being out there and keep talking my body and my brain into keeping going. But that's, I think, has taught me a lot about living in general. Well, and what an awesome endorsement for experimentation in terms of what you said and going and trying something as maybe we all should get out of our comfort zone. To Grant's point, we may not like it and we may not do it again. But why rob ourselves the possibilities that come from that experiment, even if it ends up being something like what Grant indicated was so important to him this time with the Iditarod, and that was learning more about how to overcome what his body or even his brain would be telling himself. I'm sure that has had application in other parts of your life, even since, where you're like, I've been here before. It may not be the Iditarod now, but there is something that I just don't know that I can do oh yeah, that's right. Yes, I can. I just need to put mind over matter where you also have great range and not always is it racing. You also have climbed Mount Everest. You're a sea captain by trade. You have spent tremendous time on mountain bike and on motorcycle. You have done things that are not about getting to the podium first, but just getting after it. Where do you find that 
in the world of experimentation and why you would want to climb Mount Everest, the same reason you might want to take your motorcycle into the outback in Australia. Where does that come from? You know, I think generally I'm just a curious person and I can remember from a very young age, all I wanted to do was go traveling and see the world. I wanted to work in uh, different environments on oil rigs and fishing boats and all that sort of stuff just to experience and and I, and I knew I probably wouldn't like some of it, but I wanted to have a first-hand opinion about it if anyone asked me rather than um, read a book or an article and, and try and gain an opinion that way. So I think my curiosity is still my hardest driver to this day, not just uh, in these ultra-endurance sports, but in things like mountain climbing and, and um, remote travelling as well. And I think I learned a lot of that from working at sea because... Working at sea, you're in a hostile environment. You're away from from people. Uh, it's hard work. It's physical, physically draining. It's mentally draining. But you learn about how to look after a lot of things, how to save yourself, and just how to keep going when the times get tough. And I think all that, as I was growing up, helped me segue straight into endurance sports and mountain climbing and uh, helped me to keep going uh, and continuing those sports. And what I find also is um, a lot of the times when I go to these races and people will pull out or they'll say, I'm not even going to try the race. I haven't done enough training. My head's not in the right place. And I tell them all the time, I say, just turn up and have a go with what you've got and you might surprise yourself because I find a lot of people get um, intimidated and scared about having a go at these things when they should just step up and, and see what happens on the day because invariably it'll be a, a good result and a lot um, that you won't expect will happen and by the time you've finished it you'll be you'll think to yourself I'm really glad I turned up and had a go because otherwise I'd be sitting home uh, thinking what if so those sorts of things is what drives me to try all these different sorts of things in my life we are talking to Grant Mon, and there are two words that have already come to the top of this conversation. I'm going to reinforce them right now. I think it is a lesson for all of us, adult and child alike. That is experimentation. Authorize those experiments in your life. As Grant has already proven, man, is it worth it. And then secondly, what a great indication of why curiosity matters and is so meaningful. He indicated he was just a curious individual. And even though now it's different, Grant, you and I are not that much different in age. And when we were growing up, if you wanted to see something, whether it was the Eiffel Tower or the most remote part of a desert in Southern Africa, you might get a picture in a textbook. You could perhaps find a few more photos at the local library, but that was it. And nowadays, of course, you can get everything from 360 degree video and you can have somebody do all the hard work by flying over it with a drone and you can sit in the luxury of your office or your living room and you can say, well, I feel like I saw the Eiffel Tower. I already know what it's like to be sub-Saharan by just going to this particular website. You would say, I'm sure that is not true. So for those people who might say, well, I'm not nearly as curious as I was when I was as young as what I once was, what would you say to the adult who just has had curiosity somehow beaten out of them or somewhere along the way, they've just lost that, but could gain so much from getting it back? Yeah, you know, I find a lot today, uh, a lot of people, they seem to, have, all their senses seem to be numb. And I think that's because we live in this virtual world where we have information at our fingertips. Um, 
you know, movies are made about everything and you don't really have to go anywhere to experience some things. But in actual fact, if you want to experience the world at ground level and to, you know, reignite your senses, like putting some spices on it again, you have to go out and, and, and be at ground level and experience these things um, at face value. And I find that, that traveling still at this age, if I go to a different country or a different culture and just spend some a little bit of time there and go and see the sites and talk to people and try and learn their language, it's, it's really fulfilling for me. And it gives me an idea of what other people are going through. I mean, in this day and age where there's so much political infighting and um, poverty and, and all this sort of thing, it's because a lot of people don't realise what other people are going through. And I think it's important that that people experience other cultures and other countries to get an idea what uh, the whole world's going through. And that might change their focus and, and make them more of a critical thinker about some of these world issues. So as long as I'm alive, I'm going to continue travelling because I like doing it. And I, I think it's fulfilling and I think it enriches my personality. Well, I'm sure it does. And for those who are already kind of wired the same way that Grant is, you will not want to miss this. For those of you who are thinking, man, I could perhaps use some fine tuning in my own curiosity and what I elect to pursue. Once again, this is an evening you will not want to miss Friday, October 25th from 730 to 930 at the Keller Williams Realty First Atlanta office brought to you by the Geisel Group and just a quick shout out to Sandy Geisel and Jim Martell. They have done such an awesome job, D2, of bringing this type of motivation to the marketplace. Obviously, it's a big part of the way they run their business. And I know they know that Grant will not only inspire them, but all who are part of that evening as he continues his travels, thankfully, including Atlanta along the way. All right, Grant, one thing that I have to do, the nickname that I've seen for you everywhere, very Australian for sure, the dingo fish. Why are you called the dingo fish? Well, that's kind of a long story, but I'll, I'll give you a rundown. When I was a young lad um, growing up on the coast, we used to do a lot of surfing. And when you go out and surfing, you know, you'd spend a couple of hours in the water. Well, I used to go out and I'd surf for eight hours at a stretch and I'd come in. My mates would start calling me fish because they said, oh, it must have been had gills and been half fish. And later on, I started working on commercial fishing trawlers and such. So that name stuck pretty good. But then in another um, instance in my life, I always used to like to uh, investigate the deserts in outback Australia and the Sahara. And I'd jump on a motorcycle and, and attempt to ride across the deserts. Well, I was always crashing and breaking bones and breaking the motorcycle. And I'd call up my twin brother for assistance and help or to come and get me. And one day he said, you're like a damn dog. You're always out there in the bush getting lost or, or smashed up. I'm going to call you Dingo. So all my mates just melded that into the name Dingo Fish. And then when I got into ultra running, it just seemed like a great race name that everyone would remember. And then because I was known for keeping going in those races, I just added Express to the end of it. So Dingo Fish Express is basically my race moniker. And, and uh, that's what I'm known as these days. Wow. Very cool. The dingo fish. Well, we'll be able to call you that later this month when you're in town, but there are some questions that even if it's just a personal curiosity for me, that may be a little bit more challenging given your wide range of experiences, but I'm going to put you on the hot seat anyway. 
you think about what you said earlier about just so much enjoyment that comes to you from traveling the world. And man, have you done that? I could go through all these different, I've not even mentioned, you know, Atacama or the fact that you've done the Brazil 135. We've not talked about the La Ultra. I mean, there's so many different things on your resume. So if you could say what your favorite experience or location is of all those things you've done, whether it was a race or whether it was just something that you elected to pursue. Do you have one that stands out above all others? I think um, what stands out at the moment for me is high altitude mountaineering. And the reason I say that is because I'm terrified of heights and I always have been. Mm. Uh, when I was a young kid, you know, I learned to fly hang gliders because I thought it looked really cool, but I knew I'd be scared. But I went and did it anyway and I did free fall parachuting. And I always had lots and lots of adventure books on mountain climbing and I thought that sounds so great but I'll never be able to do it because I'm too scared but you know after I got into ultra running and mountain running um, I got to high elevations and then uh, I did some basic mountaineering and then I learned how to use the equipment so I just found I was drawn to high altitude because it just seemed like a place where people weren't supposed to be and every single thing was against you and and you, you had to fight for your survival up there. So I started climbing big mountains and of course that culminated in uh, a summit of Everest from the north side last year from Tibet. And uh, that stands out as probably the most scariest, uh, hardest thing I've ever done in my life. And I'm so glad I did it, but I'm so glad I'm down. So um, I'd say at the moment going high is what really draws me to uh, you know keep my soul inspired right now. Well, that's awesome because, I mean, it'd be really easy to look at your accomplishments, to think about some of the things you're doing and say, this guy has no fear. And you would just come right out and say, that's not true. But what I am committed to doing is conquering those fears when and where possible. So let's stay here for a second. And and I'm going to just go ahead and admit, I don't know what my fears are, but I share at least that fear of heights or unrestricted. And I've made that comment. I have zero interest in Everest because of the way you have to get to the top. I don't mind, you know, going high and I love running in the mountains and what have you, but that whole idea of strapping in and the whole idea of using ladders to get, you know, over these places that, you know, it's a hundred foot fall into an ice crevice. I just have zero interest in that. So I'll go ahead and admit that fear right now. But what is it that any of us can do when we acknowledge that that kind of scares us? How do we get past that reality to at least take the first step? Well, I think overcoming fear, and I'm scared of a lot of things, and I'm not ashamed to admit that at all, but I think um, learning a process, whatever it is, whether you're trying to learn how to climb a mountain or learn to surf in big waves or learning to run across a desert, there's things that can uh, kill you quite easily, but you, you need to learn about a process and about the equipment that you need to do it and how to use the equipment, and also the mindset and what you have to do if you get into difficulties. And once you start learning a little bit about these things, you'll find that some of the fear goes out of it. Now, you don't want all the fear to leave because the fear is a good thing in one way that it makes you cautious and it makes you hyper-focused on what you're doing at that particular time. Um, Otherwise, uh, that's when people will get into trouble when when their mind wanders and they stop thinking about the task at hand. And I've seen that in the big mountains, especially Everest. So for me, you know, if I... If I looked at something like hang gliding and and think I could never be able to do that, but I started at ground level and learned how the equipment worked and what happened, 
And then by the time I learned how to fly, then I wasn't that scared of it anymore. And I found the same thing happens with mountain climbing or surfing or riding a, a dirt bike. It's all about education and learning. And I think that particular mindset helps you in a lot of things in life, you know, whether it be political doctrine or uh, the qualms of what's happened in, in the world today and how to help other people. You just have to be educated and, and critically think some of these things out. And um, you know, um, nobody likes, the, the problem is ignorance. A lot of this stuff happens today is because people don't think about it or they're told by someone else what to think and how to do it rather than thinking about how to do it themselves and investigating and research. And that's what I like to do. And that's what I find helps me to gain traction in a lot of these sports, which even I consider to be dangerous and, and I'm scared of. Uh, once I learn a little bit about it, I find um, it's easier to overcome some of those fears. Well, and if we think about the fact that you indicated there are a lot of things that I think this was your phrase that scare you, I'm thrilled that you're willing to admit that. I hope all of us would, if we're honest, at least with ourselves. And yet at the same time, you indicated so clearly there that that fear also brings clarity. It brings a desire to find depth you might not otherwise find. And then ultimately, it's not so much about conquering your fear, it doesn't sound, as it is about managing it and perhaps even using it to your advantage. If we dial it back, and now we're not talking about perhaps dying by yourself in the middle of the Saharan desert or perhaps up where your body will be frozen in time on Mount Everest, let's just talk about pain tolerance and suffering. Some would say Grant must have such a high pain tolerance or he must just be immune to the suffering that must come in places like where the Iditarod takes place or in these other endeavors that he has accomplished. I doubt that's true. So now for those of us who sometimes get a little bit leaky when it comes to, well, should I take this on or will it be more than I can bear? What would you say to help us manage the pain that is going to come and to be able to handle the suffering that my guess is a part of almost all that you do. Well, I'm here to tell you that I'm no Superman or superhuman. I hurt a lot in these races, <laughs> every race, and I tell myself a thousand times during just about every race that I'm gonna quit, um, I'm gonna DNF, I'm not gonna race again, I'm not gonna do this, it's not worth it, blah, 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 and I, I hurt a lot. and. I think that's just part and parcel of the experience. And um, I don't seem to have a problem running through blisters or lack of sleep or anything like that, but it's not easy. And I tell people all the time, I say, every race I do is hard. There's nothing easy. If, if I ran a hundred miler and thought it was easy, then I'd it'd probably be time to give it up because I wouldn't be gaining any education out of it. So. It's something that's really, really hard. I don't think you can learn it. I think it's just instilled in you whether you can go through some of these hardships when you're doing these races. But really, if you want to get to the finish line, it's only up to one person, and that's yourself, that you're going to finish. It's nice to have a crew or a pacer and aid stations and people to help you along the way. But at the end of the day, there's only one person that can get you to the finish line, and that's yourself. And that's what I keep thinking whenever I'm out there. And there's the old adage that if you're going through a low point, hang in there for a bit because, you know, soon you'll be in a good point again. And that's that works pretty good. And sometimes those those bad points might last a minute. They might last an hour. But as long as you keep grinding along, sooner or later, your frame of mind is going to come back and you're going to be in a happy place and you're going to be glad you're there. 
And the worst thing is that if you DNF just on a whim, you're going to wake up the next morning and think, I wonder if I could have kept going and got to the finish line, or I wish that I'd kept going just to get to the end and finish this thing off. So that's one of the things that drives me through all these races is I hate to leave things undone. I've only DNF three times in seven years, and I think everyone should DNF at least once to experience what it feels like. But for me, I like to just keep pushing on regardless of what's going on just so I can get to the end and, and close the book on that particular chapter. So there it is. He just admitted that, yes, there are things that scare him. There are those instances where he is suffering. There, of course, is discomfort. Sounds a lot like life to me, D2. For those who would like to see pictures of some of what he's done, see race reports, race history, what's going on in the world of mountain climbing, and so much more, dingofishexpress.com is Grant's website. Would highly encourage you to spend some time on that. So Grant, let me ask you this. You mentioned rightfully so, with all of the travels that you've done, there's not just these grand adventures. There's also the cultures and the languages, and I'm sure you know the food and just the way that people perceive what you're doing. So independent of these grand endeavors themselves, what are some of the places that you've been that you're just like, man, they made such an impression on me or wow, even if I didn't have something I wanted to accomplish, I would just love to go back there or spend an increased amount of time there because of the way I felt about myself or about what was nearby or going on around me. What are some of those really global highlights that you would call our attention to? Well, you know, there's so many places. I could answer this question for the next hour, but um, some of the highlights of my life uh, are Greenland. I've been up there on an exploration ship a number of times, and to see how people live in a hardy existence without much outside support in an in incredibly uh, hostile environment, yet beautiful at the same time. So I was really impressed with Greenland, and it's a place that not many people can get to. Um, the other place is Antarctica, which I was fortunate enough to to captain a ship down there for a few months last year. And uh, some of the wildlife and landscapes down there are also mind-blowing. And it's a place that's difficult and expensive to get to for most people. So um, that really turned me on as well. But I've been to other places like Pitcairn Island out in the Pacific and you know French Polynesia and New Guinea and places like that, which are, are so far removed from what I'm used to um, as an Australian that um, it really impresses me that people can live in some of those conditions and how they adapt to their particular environment. So um, there's plenty of places I haven't been to and plenty of places I'd still like to go to, but that's some of the standouts I can think of. Wow, man, wow. I'm ready to get my passport out. So you've also been to the U.S. quite a bit. Have you been to Atlanta or to Georgia previously? You know, Georgia's not a place of... Um, uh, experienced much of though I have been up through the Smoky Mountain the Blue Mountain Ridgeway and all that sort of stuff and I was hoping to get up there and do a couple of trail runs next year Atlanta is a is a city I've just driven through a whole bunch of times um, on the way to other places but I'm looking forward to to getting there pretty soon and hanging out with some locals just so I can experience the new city and I know there's plenty of culture there and, and some really good music scenes going on um, so I'm looking forward to that as well. Um, as far as the rest of the U.S., I've spent quite a little time here in the last 20 years on and off, and I've driven around the country uh, three times and uh, been out into the mountains and up the northeast. And I tell you what, America is one 
very, very unique country. Every corner you go around, there's something new to see. There's some new people to meet and some uh, mind-blowing uh, geographical features as well. So I'm so stoked to be here, I can tell you what. Well, I know you're in South Florida as we have this conversation, not suggesting you should pick your five favorite domestic child for us here in the United States, knowing we're putting the call out right now for Atlantans and Georgians everywhere. Grant has all kinds of miles under his belt in all kinds of different ways. So we are going to make sure we put on our Sunday best for you when you get here, roll out the red carpet, show you all of our Southern hospitality. But just so we can say, we know what we're up against. If you think about all the time that you've spent here in the States, do you have a place or something that has transpired in our home country that you would say, that's kind of the bar. Every time I end up back in the U.S., this is a memory that always seems to come rushing back to me. Well, I think the hospitality is really, really good in the United States. And I come from a country that's known for its hospitality as well. But we do it in a little bit of a different way. We're a little bit more rough around the edges, you might say. <laughs> but when you come to the U.S., particularly if you're from another country, I just find people are really welcoming. And I've driven around the country and done a bunch of miles and camped out everywhere, and I've never, ever had a problem, whether it was from, you know, racially motivated or violence or anything like that. Everyone's just been super cool. And that's what I look forward to. And now I'm married to one of your good gals here. So um, I'm just about to finish off my green card application. So I'm going to be more of a local. So you'll get to see a lot more of me and and uh, I've enjoyed your country for you know a couple of decades, and I hope to be here for another couple of decades. Well, I think you will. And anytime you're in the Atlanta area, or if you want to do any trail running in North Georgia or Western North Carolina, I can tell you, you will not have to look far to have a couple of people who would love to join you, perhaps even be your guide to the extent that we can keep up. Before we let you go, Grant, I have to poke at one thing that I heard that you are interested in doing because I think it says even more about what I used as my term earlier, range. I heard that you are in the midst of planning a solo and unassisted row across the Atlantic Ocean. So I get that you're a sea captain, that you've worked on yachts, that you've been all kinds of different boats that have taken you around the globe, but that's different than rowing across a body of water. And then you throw in the fact that it's the Atlantic ocean, that's not just some body of water. That is one really big body of water. So first of all, is that a true rumor, so to speak, that that is something that is now on your bucket list? Yeah, absolutely. And I've been thinking about it for a couple of years. And a couple of the reasons about why I want to do that is, A, I've been working at sea for 36 years and I've steamed around the world more times than I can remember. And I've steamed across the Atlantic, I think, 15 times now. But it's always been by propulsive power. So now that I'm an endurance athlete and I think I've done enough years ultra running and triathlon and climbing that I can call myself an ultra endurance athlete, I think it's time to put all that together, all those cogs and all those gears together into something like a solo row across the Atlantic and that will satisfy um, my professional life as a seafarer and my hobby which is endurance sport. And I think it's something that I'm well attuned to and I think psychologically a lot of people say, well, how are you going to spend 90 days or more by yourself? I have no problem with that and I think that comes from working at sea for so long and travelling solo a lot. And um, so what I intend to do in the next six months is 
is try and uh, get the funds together for a boat. And funnily enough, I've always said that I would never own a boat because I work on them, so why would I own one? <laughs> now I'm about to think about buying a boat, and it'll be something like about a 22-foot ocean rowing boat uh, with a cuddy cabin to sleep in, and I'll gear it out with all the latest electronics for weather forecasting and uh, satellite positioning, etc. But the main body of the boat will be powered by myself and two oars. And I'm hoping to do that at the end of 2020 if I can get all the funds together. So uh, to answer your question, yes, the rumour is true. And secondly, this is something surprisingly I'm really looking forward to. <laughs> wow. Well, it's awesome. And it, and it just even further indicates to all of us and why you inspire us that we don't get to a point where we should just shut it down and quit thinking about, well, we've done all of these other things, so let's just go back and do them again. Or we've done so much, we don't need to keep looking for more things or new things to do. And you would say that's not true. And more importantly, you're proving that with validating that rumor. You, even with all that you've done, and we cannot touch on it all for sure, but even with all that you have done, you are still looking for new ways to not just challenge yourself, but to also better yourself and to better others along the way. What I'm going to ask is for you to kind of give us the last word. And I will say this, you'll appreciate this grant. Into our studio came one of my dogs named Dingo, very much is one of my running buddies, an Australian cattle dog, decided to show up for this answer apparently and is now laying here in studio waiting for this. But whether it is my Australian cattle dog, Dingo, or whether it is all of our listeners in many different places as they may be, whether geographically, mentally, athletically, thinking about all that you've done and yet still very much have plans to do. How would you encourage us as a way to make sure that going into a new year, it'll be here before you know it. It'll be just a couple of months after we have the good fortune of seeing you on October 25th. But it is not too early for sure it is not too early for us to start thinking about what we can do to make ourselves better next year. And if you wouldn't mind encouraging us, as we suggest that people do just that, as they listen to this podcast, as they make plans to come see you on October 25th, what should we remember as we plan our 2020 that then we'll also remember that Grant told us that on the Run ATL podcast? Okay, well, simply put, I like to say live life and any journey starts with just one small step. So if you're thinking about taking on something or whether you can do something like run your first K and you're having doubts, then the simple way to put it is just go out the door and do a couple of steps the first day and you're already on your way to getting it done. And one of my favorite sayings also is getting it done because the only way to get it done is to go out there and do it. And sometimes you have to start slow and small, but slow and small at the end of the day will get you there. And on some of these long races that I've done, I'm amazed how tiny footsteps can get me 100 miles or 1,000 miles to Nome on the Iditarod. It doesn't matter how fast you do it. Just go out there and take the first couple of steps. And once you get into that mindset where you're actually doing it, you'll find it's easy just to keep going day after day and build it up. And before you know it, you'll be doing some of the things that you thought were impossible for yourself. So live life and get out there. 
Wow. So very cool. He is Grant Dingo Fishmon. One last time as a reminder, he will be with us here in Atlanta on October 25th, 2019. He will be at the Keller Williams Realty First Office. That's at 200 Glenridge Point Parkway, Suite 100 in Sandy Springs. How do you get your tickets? What a great question. Let D2 and I give you the answer. What you'll want to do is go to Eventbrite. If you just put Grant's name in, Grant Dingo Fish, it should pop up. For those of you who are thinking, is Mon like Vaughn? It is. You would spell his last name M-A-U-G-H-A-N. You are not going to want to miss that. Again, it's on October 25th. Doors open at 6.30. Grant will start around 7.30. Tickets are only $20. Also super cool. All of the proceeds going to refugerescue.org. That's refugerescue.org if you want to learn more about them. Grant, thank you for being part of this. More importantly, thank you for everything you're doing and I know will continue to do to inspire others to do just what you just said in that encouragement, and that is to indeed live life. You are very much appreciated. Absolutely. Thanks, mate, and thanks, Atlanta. I appreciate your time. Rock on. Right on, and we will be right back after this brief message. Shopping for a runner can be difficult, but Big Peach gift cards make it a whole lot easier. They're perfect for birthdays, holidays, or any occasion to show you support a healthy and active lifestyle. Gift cards are also perfect for the workplace as an incentive, reward, or thank you for a job well done. Big Peach Running Company gift cards are available at all seven locations and online at bigpeachrunningco.com. And welcome back to the Run ATL Podcast D2. Wow. Capital W, capital O, capital W. That guy gets after it. Yeah, and I mean, it's one of those things that you know, I referenced before at the beginning is, you know, just, you know, you got you to gotta be intentional. You got to make plans, um, you know, something, you know, like I said, friend reference to say yes. You know, don't think about the negativity. You know, when the opportunity comes or find an opportunity, say yes, you know. And I'm very afraid of heights as well, you know, but there's some things I'm like, I'm willing to do. I'm not going to jump out of an airplane, but, you know, there's certain things like, you know, I learned how to scuba dive and I was scared of, you know, I wasn't even a swimmer. I didn't, I, I was scared of swimming and try triathlons. I've, you know, and so there's, there's, there's ways. And I think, you know, we mentioned it being adapting as far as training. And I think you do the same thing through education by learning, you know, the skills necessary to accomplish some of these, you know, challenges to learning the equipment, you know, and getting that, you know, uh, you know, frame of mind to, to do these challenges that, you know, are scary, you know, scary. And I think it's, you know, we're, we're afraid of the unknown. And I think once we, we, become more aware and we learn, then we can control that fear. Well, indeed. And you also mentioned in our intro that there's so much out there that once we get inspired, we can let our fingers tap it out once again. And we'll put all this in the show notes. Check out Dingo Fish Express. Make sure you go to the geiselgroup.com. That's G-E-I-S-E-L group.com. And then of course, Eventbrite is where you're going to get your tickets. D2, by the time this episode airs, one of the biggest races domestically 
in the rear view. Right. Chicago Marathon was, uh, you know, just have happened. And so congratulations to all those. We know that there's a large contingent of, of uh, Atlantans that, uh, are tra- you know, that competed up in Chicago. We have a couple of our own teammates um, that have gone up there. Um, so congratulations to all of you. And for those of you that are still have a marathon, half marathon, or any even a 5K or 10K, you know, that you're looking forward to in the next couple of months, we do have, uh, you know, training groups that you can um, be a part of. You know, we have group runs on, at Kennesaw, at a Kennesaw location, our Midtown location, uh, that are becoming very popular. We had a very great turnout. I mean, a huge turnout uh, this past weekend in Midtown. Well, indeed, and certainly I will take what you and Grant have done this episode to inspire me. I'm going to go ahead and put it out there, the Chicago Marathon, in the rear view for so many, in the rear view for me, but also now again in the foreview. The Chicago Marathon was my first marathon, and in 2020, it will be 25 years since I did that first marathon through the training and some things to follow this sport turned my life upside down obviously made it so much better as i did things whether it was write the atlanta running guide while i continued to train certainly left what was a very comfortable job in order to do big peach running company and now hard to believe 25 years later next year i am calling myself to get back to that start line i'm even suggesting that I need to train with the intentionality, another word from D2, to be intentional, to see if I can run the exact same, maybe not to the second, but darn close, pace that I ran in my first marathon. It wasn't my fastest. I eventually took over 45 minutes from my first marathon to what ultimately was my marathon PR, but am I still capable 25 years later at the same race? of running the same pace October 2020. That is now something I will be intentional about. D2, thank you for what you've done to inspire that, to allow me to put it out there, to hold myself, and perhaps you will as well, to some level of accountability. Thanks to everyone once again, and as always, for being part of the fun that is this Run ATL podcast. We promise you, We will be back again in just two weeks. In the meantime, as we always say, as we certainly mean, may your best miles be those covered on foot. 